You're watching a lot. I have telecast that originates in the sanctuary of tele. You're watching a live telecast that originates in the sanctuary of church of the sanctuary of of church. You're watching.
Testing, testing. It's all you got down here? Okay. Testing, test, test. Testing, testing. Uh, Lori. Testing, Lori, test.
Good morning and welcome to worship at Church of the Palms Presbyterian Church. Delighted you could join us this morning for this hour of blessing. This morning, Dr. McConnell is uh, preaching uh, a sermon entitled, Bringing the Pot to Boil. And he'll be preaching from James chapter three and Mark chapter eight. Next Sunday morning, we're going to hold a congregational meeting between the two services at 1015. And the purpose is to hear the recommendation of the associate pastor nominating committee for the calling of another pastor and an associate pastor. So that will be at 1015 next Sunday morning. Our Wednesday evening programs are started last week and will continue, although there's a slight change for this Wednesday only. Uh, we're beginning with prayer or having a prayer that'll be held each week to pray for our nation uh, from 4.30 to 5 in the chapel. And then our regular Wednesday evening dinner will be from 5 to 6.30. Although uh, during the dinner at 5.30, we're having the mission committee is sponsoring a uh, uh, message from a visiting missionary that we support. And so that will happen at uh, 5.30 during the dinner hour. The classes, so the then the four Wednesday evening classes will start at 6.30. Dr. McConnell's new book is uh, out for sale now at various uh, bookstores as well as here at the church. And the title of his book is Take Me to Aslan, C.S. Lewis and the Art of Trusting. Dr. McConnell is going to have a little talk about the book on Tuesday the 25th here in our sanctuary. And then following the uh, description of his book, he'll be having a book signing. Thank you again for joining us this morning. May God bless your hour and the whole week. Welcome to the Church of the Palms. My name is Jenna Clark and I serve as a deacon in our congregation. We begin our service with the opening prayer printed on the cover of our bulletin. Now let us bow our heads as we prepare for worship. God of all wisdom, renew our sense of awe and wonder as we gather before you, the source of all knowledge. Make your word known to us and stretch out your hand to touch us. Draw us away from our own devices, that we may truly listen to the witness of all creation, speaking wonders we have ignored. Give us eyes to see beauty all around us. Align us with, us with truth and righteousness. Quiet our scoffing and awaken our trust 
Show us the disciplines we need to stay in touch with you each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as we can, our service continues with reverence, let us prepare our hearts and minds as we listen to the prelude.
to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glorious, glorious, marvelous, marvelous works among his peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. The Church of the Palms is in worship. You may be seated. The prophet says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid upon him, the Lord has laid upon the Lamb of God, the sins of the world. With that good news, let us go to God with our corporate prayer of confession. God of all worlds, we confess our arrogance in turning away from the knowledge you offer and the relationship with us that you desire. We make light of your commandments and scoff at discipline and boundaries as if they did not apply to us. Our tongues reveal our ignorance before the vastness of your truth. The words we speak in error spread poison that cannot be contained. Our waywardness is destroying us. Our complacency before evil within us and all around threatens life itself. O oh God, we cry out for forgiveness. Amen. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor requite us according to our iniquities. For as heavens are high above us, so it is that the Lord has forgiven us. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. As the people of faith, let us say what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us now take a moment to greet one another.
Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. We are so glad you're with us this morning. We are thankful that the good Lord is, through His Spirit, has brought us together to be the family of God and the body of Christ. We hope that you will find this to be a place of welcome, especially if you're visiting with us today. We would love to know who you are. Uh, we try to get everybody to sign the friendship pads which are in the pews and pass those along and hopefully you'll see a name there you don't recognize and uh, that would be an opportunity for you to reach out to that person and say we're glad you're with us and maybe invite them to join you for a little fellowship underneath the tree after our service is over. Once again, lots of things are going on here at Church of the Palms and we want to uh, call your attention to all the announcements in the bulletin. They are many. A few things that we want to uh, bring to your attention as we think about what is coming up this uh, coming week. First of all, we will uh, on Wednesday have a little bit of an altered schedule for our activities. We are beginning a, a new thing here that's going to take us through the next few weeks as we, as a country, prepare to make decisions about leadership and such. We're offering a little time of prayer in our chapel at 4.30 every Wednesday afternoon, just before our dinner. For those of you who'd like to come and just simply pray for our country and pray for those decisions that need to be made about our leadership. And we invite you to come and be a part of that. And then today, this coming Wednesday, we will have a, a missionary from the Middle East, a missionary that we support. Uh, will be here to talk about her work in that part of the country. It might be very interesting for you to learn about that situation through her eyes, the Middle East, and uh, that will be at 5.30 in the Campus Center uh, along with dinner. And then uh, that will extend till 6.30, and then our classes for adults will be starting at 6.30 this coming Wednesday as opposed to 6.12. So a little bit of a different schedule, and we'd love to have you come and join us for that. We have a congregational meeting next Sunday on the 23rd, immediately following the 915 service here in the sanctuary. We will be taking up the report of the Associate Pastor Nominating Committee as they bring before us their candidate, Mengi Brown, who will be preaching during the 915 service. So we invite you to come and at least come to that meeting, if not come to worship before that, to hear Mengi and, and to welcome her into our midst as we will be electing her as our newest associate pastor. We also uh, want to make you aware that there will be services for Martha Pickett on September the 22nd. Martha passed away a couple of weeks ago and uh, her family will be here on the 22nd in the chapel for uh, memorial service. Uh, also, we uh, are look forward to in a couple of Saturdays to the Presbyterian Women's Craft Fair. There's information about that in your bulletin. And uh, we'd love to have you come and join us on that Saturday, the uh, 29th, for uh, that opportunity not only to um, support the Presbyterian women, but also to uh, allow for one half of those proceeds to go to the food pantry, which is a very important ministry in our midst. We celebrate Ann Fisher's 90th birthday this coming Saturday. So if you know Ann, a member of our church, say, good job, 90. <laughs> wow. And uh, we also have a couple of books available for you this uh, today during uh, our fellowship time after the service. Uh, one is a book written by one of the pastors in our church, and there's information about that in your bulletin. Um, but the more important book, and the one that doesn't cost $13, is the church directory that is being made available today. This one is free and has many pictures. So 
you will want to pick one of these up as well. It's uh, available for one per family. If you could go by and uh, pick up, this will be available at the welcome table underneath the tree. We'd love to have you pick one up. And as we celebrate the fact that we are the family of God, you'll get a chance to see all the names and faces of all the people who are a part of the Church of the Palms. So we're grateful for that. And now we welcome the children to come forward for the children's moment. Come on up, one and all. Good, good to see you. Did you go to that boys thing last night, the dads and sons thing? I heard someone sprained their ankle. Wow. Otherwise, was it a good time? Yeah. Good. Nicholas's dad sprained his ankle at the dads and sons event last night. Sorry, Brent. Hope you're okay. How are you guys doing? Great to see you. School's going okay? Missed you last week. I heard you guys started to talk about respect when Miss Jen was here. I heard you hit your head with a golf ball. Sorry, Gary. It's getting better though, right? Yeah. Yep, good. Glad to have you here. Hey guys, thank you so much for helping with these guys. Hello, good morning. It is great to see you. So last week when Jen was talking about respect, she was saying how we have to give our respect to God because he's in charge of everything. This week, we're going to talk about how we have to respect people who are in charge, even if they don't deserve it. And that's a little bit tricky. So let me ask you this. Does anyone like surprises? Do you like Emerson? Yeah, you like to give surprises. Anyone like surprise? Yeah, have you been to like a surprise party? Well, I need some help, and I'm going to go out on a limb here. Um, someone that can exercise great self-control. I don't want to discriminate gender-wise, but I'm thinking a girl, fourth or fifth grade, that could give me a hand here. Yes, you can do it, Catherine, okay. Catherine, here is your tool. When I give you the sign, which is, Catherine, this, give it a toot. Go right now, this is the sign. Excellent, you've got your role. Okay, training, everything, we're ready to go. So this story that we're going to learn about respecting others, even those that don't deserve it, comes from 1 Samuel 24, Old Testament. Let me catch you up to where we are. Saul is king. He does all right for quite a while, but then he goes a little cuckoo, goes a little bit crazy, and God says, David, you're going to have to be king once Saul dies, right? Sounds pretty good. Remember David, right? David's the one that kills who with a slingshot? Goliath, that he kills Goliath with his slingshot, that he plays his music to calm Saul down. He's the same guy that becomes best friends with Saul's son when he's living in the palace, so everything's great. There's one eensy-weensy, teeny little problem. Saul's trying to kill him, so he has to take off running. Anybody run really fast? Anybody at all? Oh my gosh. He had to run so fast out into the desert, and he's hiding in a cave because Saul is after him with 3,000 men just to kill him. Well, this is crazy. Saul goes into this cave by himself, and David finally has the chance of a lifetime. He, he takes out his knife, and what do you think he's doing? going to do? Surprise! You know what he does? He cuts off a little piece of Saul's robe. 
Crazy, isn't it? But you know what? David was thinking, God told me never to raise a hand against the person that God anoints. David felt so bad. He ran after Saul. He bows down in front of Saul and he goes, I'm so sorry, I would never kill you. Why are you trying to kill me? I'm so sorry. Saul now has his perfect opportunity to get rid of David once and for all. And he reaches into his pocket and you know what he does? Surprise! Saul starts crying. This is a handkerchief, by the way. He starts crying, and he feels so bad, and he says, David, I'm sorry I've been trying to kill you. I know you would never hurt me. Please, please remember my family once you're king. There's a little more to the story later, but for our purposes, listen to this. Do you think Saul deserved respect? Heavens, no, he's trying to kill David. But you know what? David answers to God, and he trusts God with his whole life. And he trusts that God has a plan for him, and that he has to respect those who God puts in charge of him. Anyone in charge of you? Matthew, who's in charge of you? God's in charge of you. Anyone here living on earth that's in charge of you? Yeah. Mom's in charge. Anybody else? Dad's in charge. Anybody else? Got someone in charge of them? Tallulah. Jesus. Anyone else on earth? Yes. Your teachers are in charge of you. Can you think of another person? Reese. Her cousin. Like if you have an older cousin. Anyone else? Yeah. Grandma's in charge. The principal's in charge. I'm scared. Owen. Grandpa's in charge. Last one, Christian. Excellent, the coach. Look at all these people that God puts in charge and we're called to respect them even if they don't deserve it sometimes, which is not to say that if you don't ever feel safe, you always go tell an adult, but for all those other situations, we're called to respect. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for loving us so much that you give us people in our lives to care for us, and we just ask that you help us to show respect in what we say and what we do, even in those times we think they don't deserve it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's go. Great job. such a good helper, Gary. Hey, Liam, how are you? So what grade are you guys going into? This morning we address you as the Almighty One. Even the psalmist struggled to express the magnitude of your power. He said, who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God feared in the counsel of the Holy Ones, great and awesome above all that are around him? O Lord of hosts, who is as mighty as you, O Lord? Your faithfulness surrounds you. Lord, we see your powerful presence in the glory of your creation. 
We witness your creative power in people who have experienced a whole change of direction through the Holy Spirit's working. We experience your power in the raging storm and in your still, small voice. We experience your power in the love you have shown us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, your Son. We are the recipients of a grace that is beyond understanding. Like the songwriter wrote, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Father God, continue to thrill us with your wonder-working power. Challenge us with the opportunity to do ministry for you. Use our hands, our eyes, our feet, our voices to accomplish your will on earth as we prepare our souls for heaven. Bless, we pray, those in the hospitals, nursing homes, rehab facilities, those who are mending at home from illnesses, and we pray your blessing upon our military members around the world, and especially those in difficult places and those families who have lost loved ones. We lift up many in need of physical and emotional healing, and we give our praise to you, our worship, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us continue our worship as we bring our tithes, gifts, and offerings.
Lord, we offer these tokens of thanksgiving to share the peace of Christ, to comfort the doubts that we face on every hand. May we make a powerful witness in this place wherever we scatter during the week and in situations where other must go for us. Strengthen our witness, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Our scripture this morning comes from two places in the New Testament, the first from the book of James, the third chapter, beginning at the first verse. We have been taking a journey through this great letter of the early church and find great words within it that call forth a true sense of what religion is all about. And so we find ourselves in the third chapter, beginning at the first verse. Hear the word of God. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, 
For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies or look at ships, though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species, but no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does, does a spring forth, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness, born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful or false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Our second lesson is from the Gospel of Matthew, the eighth uh, Gospel of Mark, the eighth chapter, beginning at the 27th verse. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. 
He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of them, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. We ask, O Lord, that by your mercy and through your grace that these words I have just read would be reflected in the words that I am about to speak. And more importantly, that we might know even more deeply the word made flesh in Jesus Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. In... Shakespeare's Macbeth, there is an ominous scene at the beginning of the fourth act when the new king of Scotland comes upon three witches. These are the same witches that we meet at the beginning of the play, and their appearance makes us think that things will not go well for the new king. This time in the fourth act, the three witches are standing around a cauldron. They are mixing a witch's brew, and and the king wants to know from them if they have any vision into the future, and if so, can they see whether the king's reign will be of length, or, or is there the threat of his being over? run. Around the boiling pot, the witches divine, and they eventually break the bad news to the new king that the line of succession will not fall to his heirs, but to the heirs of his rival. He will soon be deposed. Now, these dark witches around this sinister cauldron point us to something that has already been at work in the story, and that is the fact that the new king is suffering not as much from the cauldron of the witches as much as from the cauldron inside himself. Macbeth the king has less to worry about the forces around him, even with the witches and the rivals, than he has with the forces that are at work within him. There are pots boiling in this story, but it is the pot boiling inside him that he should be most concerned about. He is, in other words, becoming his own worst enemy. He is a paranoid man whose sudden rise to power is ultimately undone by the brew that is mixing in his own soul. The pot boils, and Macbeth loses the very thing he is trying so desperately to hold on to. The story of Macbeth fits the formula of most of Shakespeare's tragedies, the ascendance of a heroic figure who carries with him a tragic flaw, and though he has so much going for him, around him, what works against him most is that which is within him. It's not the cauldron on the outside that we must worry about, Shakespeare tells us, it's the cauldron inside that should concern us. 
one wonders if the bard had spent some time reading the great letter of James. I have been grateful these past few weeks of reading and rereading the book of James with you, this early letter to the community of Christ addressing the question of what does it mean really to be religious? And what's striking in this letter is how much it seems to spend time dealing with the interior of our souls, the interior of our souls. James seems to want to point to us over and over again to show us that it is the inside of our lives that determine the outsides of our behavior. It is the internals that produce the externals of our religion. No one, he writes, can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. If you have, he continues, bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. In other words, writes the apostle, what comes out of the mouth is what the pot has already boiled. If the brew inside is of gracious and merciful mix, then the words from the tongue will be of gracious and merciful mix. If there is envy, ambition, and bitterness inside, the word that boils up, it will be of curse and condemnation. If you want to know good religion, the apostle writes, watch your tongue. If you want to watch your tongue, he writes, pay attention to what's boiling inside. So the gospel writers seem eager to teach us this lesson when they take the time to track a few of the characters who journey with Jesus through his ministry, namely the apostles, but others as well. And perhaps the person who gets perhaps the most examining light upon him is the disciple Peter. Peter, of all the followers of Jesus, seems the most dimensional. And, and what you discover in the follower Peter is that he's got a pot. He's got a pot boiling inside. He, he may be at the right hand of Jesus. He, he may have confirmed upon him the, the title rock of the church, but Peter is a mixed bag. He is a complicated stew. And what we sometimes see is that Peter becomes his own worst enemy. Worse than that, he becomes Jesus' worst enemy. In our lesson this morning, the disciples are being examined in the region of Caesarea Philippi just before Jesus turns his face toward Jerusalem. Jesus then begins to ask the clarifying questions, the most important of which is, who do you think I am? What do you really think of me? And into this pregnant pause, Peter speaks up and says, you're the one. You are the one. You are the one we've been waiting for for centuries. I think you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, bless you, Peter. Bless you because God has revealed this to you. You didn't come to this through your own intelligence, your own spiritual maturity. You came to this because God revealed this to you. 
And then, not more than a few minutes later, after Peter gets this wonderful accolade from Jesus, Jesus begins talking then about what messiahs really do. You know, messiahs face the music. Messiahs confront injustice. Messiahs sacrifice their lives. So Peter, the new rock of the church, instantly becomes Jesus' worst enemy. The pot inside boils, and before he knows it, he's telling Jesus what to do. He's taking control. He's forbidding Jesus to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. Wow. In a manner of minutes, the rock of the church turns into the devil himself. And it's not the last time that Peter gets chewed out. He gets chewed out twice in the Garden of Gethsemane. He has a come-to-Jesus meeting on the shore of the Sea of Galilee after his denials. His companion, Paul, chews him out when he capitulates to the crowd. I mean, Peter is a mixed bag, a complicated stew. Sound familiar? We all have some toxins mixed into our pots, don't we? The Apostle Paul said, you know, I do the, I do the very thing I don't want to do. And I don't do the very thing I want to do. Clarence McCartney told the story of the man who dreamt one night of being followed and haunted by a mysterious veiled figure Every time he seemed in the dream, you know, every time it seemed that something good was going to happen, the veiled figure would come and prevent it from happening. As soon as the man won the lottery, the veiled figure snatched it away. When he was about to fall into a peaceful slumber, the veiled figure awakened him with fear and anxiety. When he sat down to eat in the dream, the veiled figure stole his food. When he won fame, the veiled figure took away his reputation. When he was prepared to walk through the door of opportunity, the veiled figure would slam the door. And when he was at altar, prepared to say his wedding vows, the veiled figure stood up in the congregation and gave all the reasons for why he should not be married. Finally, after all these attacks, the man had had enough and, and screamed, who are you? And reached and pulled the man, that pulled the figure's veil away. And when he did, the face he saw was his own. We can be our own worst enemy. The cauldron of most concern is the cauldron within. Has that not been the case for you? Have you not stumbled over yourself? Not an easy thing to admit, of course. It's certainly a lot easier to look at all the other forces in the world that seem contrary and see them as the biggest problem. We have likely heard ourselves say something like, you know, the world would be a better place if it weren't for all the people. And what we mean to say is all the other people and not ourselves. It is the cauldron of others we think that we have to worry about and not our own. G.K. Chesterton, the great Christian apologist of a century ago, saw in one of the London papers a survey question that they asked the readers to respond to. And the question was, what is wrong with the world? And Chesterton wrote back to the editors this three-word reply, Dear Sirs, me. 
So it is that the New Testament seems to bring us back over and over again to the interior, yours and mine. What is happening in our souls? What pot is coming to boil? What is being stirred into our stew? A gentleman I know tells the story of being on a business trip and having to deal with all the stresses and strains of traveling, making deals, satisfying customers, losing sleep, etc., etc. And finally, late one night in his hotel room, his wife finally caught up to him with a phone call. And in the phone conversation, she told him of the, the need to the need for the doctor to run a further test on her and that the test was going to be pretty expensive and that they had more to meet on their deductible, so more was coming out of their pocket. And with this news, he began to rant and rave about the medical profession and the cost of tests and were they even necessary and how are we going to get the money and on and on, not hearing the quiet tears being shed on the other side of the line. The fear and the worry of his beloved it was her health they were talking about, but it was his pot that was boiling. And from his tongue came a foul aroma. And it took too long for him to realize that if there was any problem right then, the problem was him. So how good the New Testament is to paint for us these unvarnished pictures of the saints, the disciples, the apostles, the followers, the struggling believers, all of who are trying to do the best they know to do to follow Jesus, realizing along the way that often their worst enemy is themselves. And yet, in the same breath, the New Testament reminds us over and over again that grace abounds. That's the good news, that grace abounds. It is his grace that is sufficient. When the Apostle Paul writes his letters, it's how he begins just about every one of them, grace to you and peace. The first words off his tongue, grace to you and peace. Paul was a complex figure, a complex mix of law and grace. He knew the law better than anyone, but he knew even more that he, the law would not save him. He knew it was all about grace. Frederick Buechner says that the reason Paul always starts by saying grace to you in peace is that he knows that grace is the greatest thing he has to give because grace is the greatest thing he ever got. Maybe that's the point when you and I think about the cauldron inside of us with all the life throws at us, with all the pressures and the speed of time and the intensity of circumstances and the social networking and the sputtering economy and the venomous talking heads and the negative politics. With all that which gets stirred up around us, we still live by grace. We are still saved by grace. We are still loved by grace. That's the gift from above. That's the stock for the stew. That is the aroma the world needs to hear and smell from our tongues. Anything less becomes a foul odor. So what James and others invite us to is to be simmered in the grace of the Lord, 
to live our lives, to calendar our lives, to discipline our lives in a way that we are hourly and daily reminded that it's all about grace. That grace is the greatest we have to give. And grace is the best we've ever gotten. Dietrich Bonhoeffer the great modern saint of last century whose efforts at faithfulness landed him in a Nazi prison during the last stages of Hitler's reign. Alone in his cell, taunted by Nazi guards, increasingly worrying that he may not ever get out, which ended to be the case with his execution a month before the surrender of Germany. Bonhoeffer began to wrestle with the cauldron inside. Self-doubt, self-pity, envy, bitterness, and in the midst of the wrestling, he wrote a poem about his struggle. Who am I, he writes, this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once a hypocrite before others and before myself a contemptible woebegone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, that I am thine. I am thine. This is the grace that abounds. This is, isn't it, the grace that is for us all. I am thine, and you are thine, and you are thine, and you are thine. Grace has fallen upon us all. Such is the stock for the stew. Such is the pot we have to boil.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. You're watching a live telecast that originates in the Sanctuary of Church of the Palms in Sarasota, Florida. These traditional worship services are broadcast live each Sunday morning at 9. There'll be another traditional service here at 11. Also each Sunday in the Garden of the Campus Center, contemporary services are presented at 9. Church of the Palms is a Presbyterian Church, USA. Adult classes are underway. Dinner at 4.30 to 6.30 p.m. Classes start at 6.12 p.m. A study called Conversations with God, Prayer 101, is held in the chapel reception room with Dale and Marianne Volrith. Whether you're a novice at talking with God or a seasoned prayer warrior, we all have much to learn about the power of prayer in our personal lives. Even Christ's disciples ask, Lord, teach us to pray. Freedom in Christ, what does that really mean? Breaking free, a Beth Moore study with Carolyn Wilson in room 206. In this study, Beth Moore takes us through a study of the scriptures to discover the transforming power of freedom in Jesus Christ. Themes for this study come from Isaiah, a book about the captivity of God's children, the faithfulness of God, and the road to freedom. 
Do you want to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in your life? There's a Fruit of the Spirit study with Dr. Alan Rada in room 205 and 207. Where do you stand on the fruitful behavior scale? If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 The best testimony to Christian maturity is evidence of ripened fruit. For more information, contact Alan Rada at 924-1323. Why do you believe what you believe? Apologetics, defending the faith with Tony Liga in room 202. The first thing we learn is that this isn't a class on how to say, I'm sorry. Rather, 1 Peter 3.15 says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. For more information, you can contact Tony at 924-1323. There's a study called SHAPE, Finding Your Perfect Fit According to God's Design. God has given each of us a unique shape, a one-of-a-kind identity comprised of our spiritual giftings, personality, abilities, and experiences. Once you understand your shape and how you fit into God's purpose and plan for your life, it explains how you respond to authority, how you handle criticism and confrontation, how you make friends and interact with people, and how you deal with emotions. If you'd like to attend room 206, Bob Berson, you can call 4009391. The music ministry announces its fall concert season, Sarasota Pops Concert at Church of the Palms, October 28th at 3 p.m. All Hallows' Eve meets All Saints' Day. Enjoy a little early Halloween concert with Sanson's Dance Macabre. Then celebrate All Saints' Day with When the Saints Go Marching In. And featuring our wedding theme for the season, Something Old, is the Bach Brandenburg Concerto No. 3. Something New is a beautiful piece by Eric Whitaker called October. Something Borrowed is a medley from Phantom of the Opera. And Something Blue is Colton Kaysen singing from Old Blue Eyes, Frank Sinatra Favorites. For more information, you can contact John Pereira at 924-1323. Church of the Palms offers the inspiration of the Word of God. The studies to enhance your walk with God. The friendship of others who with you are seeking the will of God. You're invited and welcome to join us some Sunday soon. We're located at 3224 Bee Ridge Road in Sarasota. You can learn more about us on our website at www.churchofthepalms.org. And now this is Jimmy Lance. Until next Sunday at 9, may the peace of Christ be with you and yours. Enjoy this day, this gift, God's Good morning.
into temptation but deliver us 